The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I was lucky enough to be joined by the head honcho over at Roto-Grinders and Scores and Odds, Dan Bach. You probably know him better as DB730. He is uh, truly one of the godfathers of the daily fantasy sports industry, and I, I was just really excited to sit down and chat with him about, you know, sort of the, the history of Roto-Grinders, the history of DFS in general, and uh, also the future of our industry and, and how it has changed and how it will continue to change, so I hope that you guys will enjoy it. Uh, as always, if you want to support the show, you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast, and, or you could just leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcoming in the godfather of, uh, of daily fantasy sports media, Mr. Dan Bach from Roto Grinders. Uh, honestly, I'm surprised I never had the idea to have you on the show before, but I, I think you and I have not done a show together. It's got to be like six or seven years by now. Uh, it, it, it had to have been a very long time since we've done a show together. Have we ever? I mean, I, I'm, I'm racking my brain thinking about this. I have not guessed it on the Swolecast. Okay. For I, reason, I used I to do... I used to do grinders live every once in a while. Um, when I was when I was in between uh, daily fantasy sites in like 2017, 2018, I used to hop on grinders live every once in a while. But I didn't. I wasn't always hosting. Like, maybe we I, didn't. Was, maybe maybe I, that's a false memory. Yeah, I, I I know that you did, but I don't know that I ever hosted because I've you know obviously over the years kind of fallen more back on the management side than being the forward facing you know broadcast guy. And, you know, I, I sat here thinking about this and, and I don't believe we've ever done a show together. So I'm going to call this the first one ever between, you know, Davis and Dan. We'll see how it goes, but I'm pumped to be here and I'm glad that we can kind of reminisce a little bit because there's nothing that I love to do than look back at DFS. And it's crazy because now I'm in a position where I'm supposed to be looking forward, but I still, I still like this. So no, it is. It's, it's the best. I mean, and that is true in every walk of life, you know, whatever, whatever you're, uh, you're into it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to look back. I I do remember when we met for the first time, it would have been at um, FSTA 20, 2014, I think, whenever whenever it was in San Francisco, there's there's a great there's a great picture of us that uh, shows up in a DFS thread every once in a while. But that's that's how long we've uh, and and you were in it far far before I was. Yeah, I remember that meetup too because that was the first time that I met you. I knew that you were somewhat diminutive in stature there, Davis, but I didn't know how like it's short it's you shocking. Really were. Yeah, it really shocking. was, and of course, this was like your first like real fantasy public event, I would say, where you're around a lot of the other people um, in the industry. I'm not saying the sure. first. But no, the no, first I, time... that was before I would have been to any live final or anything, I think. Yeah, yeah. So like this, so I, I certainly knew of you and, you know, followed what you were doing. I think you were at Fantasy Insiders at the time. And then what people don't realize is not that the FSTA conferences are are like everybody's like, dressed to the nines or anything like that. But Davis shows up in a tie-dyed shirt with a bucket hat and marijuana socks. And straight I, up. I just will never get that picture out of my mind. One of the greatest, greatest things that, uh, that I've seen at an FSTA. So kitchen kitchen will, uh, he'll never, he'll never let me forget it. So yeah, we're, we're going to take 
a trip down memory lane here a little bit before before looking towards the future. So I I assume you have probably told these stories on on some shows before, but do you remember the first time you heard about DFS? Uh, Because you were you were doing local radio in South Florida at the time, right? Close. I was doing local radio in actually not South Florida. I, I was in Florida. I was in Sarasota, Florida at the time. And the first site that I actually ever uh, played on was Draft Street. And I'm trying to think how I found it. It might have been either via Barstool or um, some of the some marketing vehicle because Draft Street was kind of ahead of its time in terms of you know partnering yeah. with influ- influencers and stuff. So that was my first taste of it. And I'll never forget when I played it, I had the thought process of like, there's no way this is legal. I was like, there's no right, way. Right. I had I remember having that thought too. Yeah, it's pretty much the first thought most people have when they play this. It's like there's no way. Well, in today's world where everything's legal in the gambling world, it seems like it's not a question, but you got to think back 11, 12 years ago. And uh from that point on, then I just got so into it and hooked because I realized like this was going to be a big deal because it was uh, uh, the closest thing to gambling that existed. It had fantasy sports. It allowed me to watch the games, get a sweat, make some money. I was like, this is going to blow up. So draft street was the first. And then once you did a little more research uh, draft zone was one that uh, I got in very, very early. Gary Payton was their spokesman for old draft zone back in the day. And then yeah. And not long after that FanDuel. Uh, I, I found that, but draft street was the first draft street was the first, um, uh, the, the early days in DFS, again, people who, who started playing in like 2018, they're like, you know, there's DraftKings and there's FanDuel, maybe a little bit of super draft. Um, you know, but there used to be draft day. There used to be daily joust. The other thing that people nowadays would be shocked to know is that it was all FanDuel back then. FanDuel had, I don't know, 60% market share probably of, of all of the people who were were playing. They had the largest contest. When you tune into Grinders Live, when you listen to you know your your preview podcast, it was all FanDuel, all FanDuel salaries, all FanDuel positions, which is, I mean, even now, like I've been in it, so it feels strange to remember that it was all FanDuel back then. Yeah, it was. Um, and shout out to Daily Joust. They were the first one to actually sponsor a Daily Fantasy podcast. They were the ones yes. that pointed up the money. And I remember I didn't even get paid in real money. I got paid in like site credit. Like Cal's like, yeah, you can do a podcast. We'll, you know, Daily Joust said they'll give us some money. We'll throw 300 bucks in your account every month. And I was like, in. So, uh, right. so kudos to that to that site that is, you know, fallen into the DFS graveyard. But you're right about FanDuel. And that's like an interesting component is like they were they were ahead of their time in terms of how to scale their business from a marketing side of things and how to raise money and you're you nailed it when you say 60 percent. it might probably was even greater than that i was even more yeah it was probably like 70 because i even remember there was an ad and i thought it was like the weirdest ad ever to run but i was on sirius xm at the time and fanduel's like we need you to you know you know, they were they were sponsoring and they're like, read this ad. And the ad was like seven out of every 10 people playing daily fantasy sports play on FanDuel. And I thought it was like a strange message, but clearly they wanted, you know, uh, everybody to know how big they really were. And this is right around the time when kind of like DraftKings was was uh, acquiring customers left and right. But uh, yeah, FanDuel was incredibly massive in those early days before DraftKings kind of you know, decided to, to follow that path. Um, so, I mean, I guess from, from uh, an industry insider's perspective, how did you see that playing out? Like, I, I mean, I, I, I played first on, on all the little sites and I had DraftKings accounts. Uh, I, I actually think Roto-Grinder still has um, my, uh, my, my affiliate link because I wanted, um, I wanted head Just choppers <laughs> college football picks. So I signed up so that I could get head choppers college football picks. I don't know that we have anybody's affiliate like DFS Any, anymore. anymore. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> anymore. I, I don't. I don't think that happens. Um, but you know, it, it's it's really really interesting. And I I really, if you're into DFS, um, and you've only gotten in in the last few years, read. Um, there's a couple of books out there. 
Dueling with Kings by yeah, Dan Daniel, Barbarisi. Daniel Barbarisi's book. Yeah. And there's there's another one, too, uh, by Albert Chen. Um, I don't have the title off the, off the top of my head, but it's really good. And it kind of gives you a full backstory of these companies and definitely read it. They're they're incredible. Uh, but, yeah, I think the surprising thing with with DraftKings uh, and the not so surprising thing is when they came into the market, they were able to look at what FanDuel didn't do well, which was mainly tech. You know, the, FanDuel is great at marketing, but their tech was abysmal. And they said, okay, well, we're going to do the same marketing, but we're going to build it from the ground floor with tech that's able to scale and allow people to manage their lineups, build more lineups. And that's a big reason why DraftKings was able to accomplish what they did, because they had a platform that was so much easier for people, but then also had the ability to uh, to grab customers at an incredible clip because they just kept on raising money. But um, that sort of land grab was, you know, it, it, it's, it really changed the face of gaming in the U.S. period because, of course, that brought us to the point of daily fantasy being talked about in a freaking presidential debate, which is one of the most bizarre moments I've ever seen in my life. And also nearly brought down the entire industry. FanDuel and DraftKings... Yes. At one point, tried to merge together. Think about this for a second. FanDuel DraftKings, the two largest gaming companies and sports betting in this country today, tried to merge when they were just daily fantasy. And the government said, no, we're not going to allow it. I mean, that to this day, I can't fathom that they actually felt like that was the right call to make, mainly because daily fantasy was nothing. And it, it was, and it seemed like it was going to happen. Like I remember, like a couple weeks there, where people were like, "Oh yeah, this is going to happen." Like like we, like uh, I Nigel, I think said like, "This is happening. We're doing this." They they figured out what the corporate hierarchy yeah. was going to be if and when they merged, which would have really changed everything. Totally, everything would look very different because I we all would have known that there was only going to be one brand that would operate, and the people I feel really bad for in that whole situation. Were like the the companies, like even Fantasy Draft, who was sitting in the wings at number three, saying these two are going to come together, and then there's an opportunity to be number two. And I think that was a real opportunity for somewhere out there, for for somebody out there. And then inexplicably saying that no, this is going to create a monopoly. And for me, honestly, I think it just made it worse. I mean, is a duopoly that much worse than opening up competition for other people to get in? So um, at the end of the day, you know, both of those companies are, have got to be ecstatic that it went the route that it did because now they're leading this charge of, of sports betting. But the whole landscape of sports betting and sports gaming in this country uh, would look a lot different, I think, today if it didn't, if that, if the FTC did not decide to block that merger. And I think it's a little, little underrated sneaky thing for that, that people don't realize, you know, once took place. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's like, that's a huge what if like what, what would there actually have been, you know, would one of these other sites have won, you know, draft day, what any, any of these sites yeah. that, I mean, cause uh, you know, DraftKings was super aggressive in buying out of the, you know, they bought out draft street um, they bought out Star Street, which was one of Jeremy Levine's companies, and and a couple other ones as well. I mean, they they that was a I think a, a good customer acquisition tool, and uh, you know, a great, very aggressive way to eliminate competition too, for sure. Yeah, but it also got to a point where those brands knew they had no chance because right. Jason and DraftKings had a war chest that they could dip into and raise more. They got to a point where they were almost too big to fail and it was impossible to compete with on that highest level because you were never going to be able to raise that sort of capital and it was either take our offer take our money or die a slow death and i think all those companies were wise to get what take they the could money. out of that because right. they saw the writing on the wall they knew that they weren't going to be able to compete with those companies but huge credit to you know jason and matt and those guys early on like they had a vision and and, you know, they were they, they saw the industry for what it was and, and they felt like, hey, this is the only path for us to be a player and make it is to raise a lot of money and bring in customers at just a, a really, really massive scale 
And they were able to do that. And it all boiled down to Jason walking and getting in VC money. And uh, if that didn't happen, I'm pretty sure DraftKings wouldn't be where they are today. And, you know, he had the vision and they they executed it. Now, were there things along the way? They might have been more aggressive than some people would have uh, right. thought they should be. Sure. But they, they calculated those risks. And it, it worked out very well for them to the tune of, you know, multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company that they have right now. So at the same time that these companies are evolving and and you know merging into one another and aggressively marketing, we also have like the DFS content phenomenon coming because at also sort of at the same time, like fantasy football in general was becoming more popular. And I mean, fantasy football has always been, I mean, not always, but for the last 30 years or so, lots of people play it. It's in and of itself. It's also a billion dollar industry. So it was natural for people to seek out advice for their DFS teams, the same way they pay for rankings and they listen to podcasts about their fantasy football teams. And I, when I remember, you know, getting into to playing for the first time, I was like, I want to learn everything that I can, right? I want to, I want, and I want the picks too. You got to, you know, you got to get the yeah. picks. So you were, uh, how how did you end up, you know, getting in with Rotor Grinders and and I mean, just you know, what was that? What was that like to be the director of the media for like this brand new thing? Yeah, it was pretty awesome because, you know, it was so early on. Roto Grinders was only around for like a year when I basically DM'd Cal and Cam. Yeah. It was like, hey, I do radio, I play DFS, and I feel like this is a content goldmine because the, the biggest problem I always had with fantasy content was the same shit every day. Every you day. Know, from a season-long perspective, how much can you, you know, talk about just you know, running back rankings and, you know, pitcher rankings. Like it was just in, and like, I I knew there was a whole serious channel around this and I would listen to it. And I was like, man, if there's an actual satellite radio channel devoted to fantasy sports, like they need to have DFS on it. So I looked at this opportunity with RG to get into nationwide radio. Cause that was like my big passion at the time. I wanted to, I loved radio. I still do. Uh, but I looked at it as what's the easiest way for a guy who's about to have a baby who doesn't want to move around all over the place to do national radio. And I was like, it's fantasy sports. And I found daily and I was like, bang, this is my ticket, but I needed to get known first. So I basically went to Cal and Cam and said, I've got a sweet ass radio voice. I play DFS. Let me do a daily podcast for you where the content's new and original every single day for you. The listeners, you know, they're saving themselves time. And they were like, all right, sounds good. Sold. So they basically built me out this whole podcast platform. And uh, I think I got paid again, like 300 bucks a month in draft and daily joust credits. And it was, uh, it was awesome because right about that time I was had my, my first son or my son, and I was kind of like stay at home dad. So it was like in between, you know, changing diapers and feeding, I was like recording podcasts. It was crazy, but it was perfect for my life at the time. Um, but not soon after this, this happened, you know, basically DFS started to hit scale. FanDuel and DraftKings right. started to advertise nationally. And we're like, whoa, like this is this is becoming a real business real quick. And right around this time, like Google Hangouts started to be like a thing like they just, you know, video. Yep, calls I remember that just started popping and we looked at it and we're like, man, like this is pretty cool. Like, why can't we do this and broadcast it to our to our you know subscribers or the people on our site? and give them like real time information before roster lock. And it was just like, after we did that first test run, uh, I were like, okay, this is it. Like, this is absolute perfect. This is going to blow up. And it did. And it was a lot of work to get off the ground, to build that CMS. And Riley did it all and didn't sleep for a couple of days. But at the end of the day, it looked amazing. And that was kind of at that point where, you know, I went to Cal and uh, Cam and like was like, "Hey, let me let me be your media guy. Let me run this. Let me get us on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, let us, you know, create you know more digital media podcasts and and content." And they're like, "Perfect." And honestly, it was probably like a year 
earlier than they probably even were expecting to need to do something like that. But I thought it was a perfect match because this is what I did well. It's what I was passionate about. And at that time in my life, when I was watching kids, uh, I couldn't like I couldn't do the job I'm doing today. 12 right. years ago with a with a with a newborn. I couldn't do it. It'd be impossible. But back then it was perfect. Yeah. Which is uh I mean it's it's so interesting because like obviously the concept of like a live show like every daily fantasy site does does live yeah. shows now and they they update right up to lock and it, it's it's actually um you know it's 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 like the the best application of fantasy sports content because especially for like NBA uh, yeah. You know, NFL and MLB, you can do shows in the morning you can do. But for, but for NBA, like those were the those were the grinders live that I watched the most was like Smiz and CSU. Like, I mean, this is so long ago. So long ago, we have Smiz and CSU doing live daily fantasy content, you know, 30 minutes before lock. What a world. Like, I mean, and that's one of the things that I love so much about the history of, of Roto Grinders in general is like how many guys we had on our platform have kind of moved on to bigger and better things. And, you know, I think that's something that, you know, speaks volumes for the platform that we were able to create, but also the fact that we were to, able to find some guys that you knew were like mega talented. And, you know, at some point in time, we're going to go off and spin off and do something themselves. But if you looked at like the roster historically, the people we've had on RG, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, in those early days. So that's something that, you know, uh, I'm excited for, I'm proud of. But on the flip side, I'm also like super still, you know, geeked that we've got guys like Notorious and Head Chopper who've been with us at yeah, RG for, for like, like 11 years. years. Right. Like, yeah, like that, that sort of loyalty and guys who've been around with us that long. Um, you can't say enough great things about them. And, you know, I've always felt like they fit the type of culture that we've always wanted at RG. So, you know, guys like him and beers and, and these guys have been STL been with us forever. Um, you know, I got the most respect in the world and, and love those guys to death for, for, you know, being with us as, as long as they had and still being with us. And, you know, like I say, we got, we got some future to talk about later, but you know, kudos to those guys, they've grinded it out. And, you know, I think built a pretty good life for themselves. Uh, some of it certainly through DFS. And it's um so another thing uh, that was so interesting about content back then was like guys who were getting touted on the shows back then there the 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 concept of um you know game theory and like leverage and and even like stacking was like uh you know kind of a um a unique concept back then I, I remember Leone oh, yeah. always Leone always tells this story about uh like a Star Street final where he realized that in the rules you could literally just stack an entire team he played like eight Diamondbacks hitters or something like that and and that stuff was like novel back then so you know whoever Smiz's favorite shooting guard was that night when you're going through the slate. If 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 Smiz and, and Peter were like, oh, that's the dude. You gotta play, you gotta play Bradley Beal tonight. That guy would be like 86% owned in contests and stuff. And there and no one was watching that content thinking, okay, so if this guy's really popular, I gotta go to you know this guy because then I'll be getting leverage. It was literally just like yeah. playing the best plays. That's all it I'm was. Gonna, I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the 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 biggest kind of credit here to these to these guys in terms of how the way we approach DFS has changed over the years. Cause you're right. Like long ago, there was no ownership um, or roster ship, whatever you want to call it. There was no, um, there was no leverage plays. None. The guys who changed it, there was no stacking. The guys who changed it were uh beep. I'm a Jeep. Um, yes. Jay Rayner. Jay Rayner was the guy who changed it all on draft street MLB and completely changed the way that you play that game. And the biggest one when it came down to ownership and leverage and game theory, I think is Bales. I think Bales wrote those books. Yeah, his um, books. Yeah. The Bales books were so good. They were great. I mean, they were, they really changed how people played tournaments and you know, and some of the, and this was right around the time when optimizers started popping up and we'll talk about those in a minute, but those two guys, I, I want to give just the most credit to in terms of like influences in terms of the way that we play DFS, those guys really changed the, the, the you know, the style of GPP that, that people would play. And, uh, 
yeah, I'll stand by that. I also think um, Sahil had had a big part in it because people were watching him just have all this. I mean, he was people again. People do not remember Max Delury, but uh, like, or not even the people who were there would remember. But people who started playing a couple of years ago wouldn't even know who that is. But he was. Um, he was like the original Osimo, it kind of in a way. He was never really that much of a DFS personality. He did do his site, but he was the guy who would be mass entering every single slate, every single tournament. Uh, and also he would be, you know, at the high end of all the cash games and everything too. But he was the the first guy who kind of, well, probably not the first guy, but one of the first guys I remember talking publicly. And then there was... Um, what was the you'll you'll probably remember like the very specific controversy of a guy being ruled out at like 658 Eastern time and he was able to get the backup in across like a thousand lineups because again this was before the 150 max entry where you could just enter as, as many dollars as as you wanted yeah uh, I, f- I feel like maybe it was like a, a Miami guy Chris Bosch was ruled out or something like that um and and he was able to swap to the backup but that was like when people were realizing, uh, the value in all those tools. Yeah, that was basically what happened with Sahil had built an optimizer and built a way to manage all your lineups and make changes outside of the scope of the optimizer. And nobody else had that technology. Nobody had it but him. And it became very clear that that was the wave of the future. And back then there was no limit on the number of entries you could put in. So Sahil's whole mentality was just to build as many lineups as he possibly could and build them in what he felt was an an optimal way. And and obviously when you had no limit to the number that you could enter, uh, it it rubbed people the wrong way. Uh, Right. Very much so. And a lot of people think like that was a huge detriment to the industry. Maybe, I don't no no the I mean, the I game the game needs yeah. the game needs the people willing to pump in the max yeah. entries for the prize pools to be the way they are. It, you nailed it. Like DFS wouldn't be where it is today if there wasn't optimizers available to people because there's no way you could scale these tournaments to the size that they are and expect them to fill if suddenly I had to put on my vest and my hard hat, my gloves and hand build 150 (laughs) freaking lineups, Peter Overzet style, like that was never going to happen. So it, it would have capped how big these tournaments would be. And the one thing we've learned and all the acquisition figures show the bigger, the tournaments there, there are the more demand people have to play them. And it, and it allowed these sites to grow and scale. Now on, on the flip side of that, I do think one of the best things that could have happened is some of the regulation that that happened, you know, post 2015, 2016, where we put a limit of 150 lineups, you know, on uh, on some of these contests. And and I think that was actually a pretty good number. I don't know where they settled on or why they settled on that number, but it turns out, I think, to be a pretty solid number in terms of of how to create it. And for me, like the one thing that we lose with scale, I think, is just like community. And that's obviously right. was a hard thing for us at RG because that's kind of what we were built on. And you'd go to live finals and you'd see all these these people who you know you're you're in the forums with or you're watching Grinders Live with or they're on the shows. And you know, I think that's the one thing that we've we've kind of seen fall off a little bit just because there's so many damn people playing. It's not like back then, I'd say like maybe 70% of the people who were playing DFS were probably on Roto Grinders. Where right now that that number is way lower because there's just so many different places for people to to get their content. But you know, all in all, like optimizers are a way of life. They're not going anywhere. And honestly, they've they've helped the industry in this regard too. A, if you want to play, it's a lot easier to play now because way the, easier. Yeah. Way easier. Because the projections are so good. Projections yep. are so good. The ability to build more optimal lineups the way you want them in, in larger number is is so much easier. Like I know that there's old school people who wish everything was single entry and three entry max, but the business would never get C- to the congrats, point. Today. Congrats on your seven k for first place contest. Like <laughs> no one, no one wants that. No one wants it. No, no. I mean, some people do, and and the thing that I always said was. There's got to be the, you got to allow the business to scale, the industry to scale. And the way to do that was through large tournaments. 
but the the sites themselves still needed to offer tournaments at single entry three entry max and we started to see more of that and i think like those are the things i personally like to play those are what i like to play and you know kudos to DraftKings in particular FanDuel 2 single entry series uh that they do for each sport is they've kind of built you know um solid enough games to satisfy those customers but still realize we need to build these mega contests that's going to bring more and more people in to potentially win you know six figures or maybe even seven figures so i think where we landed is pretty good in the grand scheme of things um but yeah man sahil whew, that was that was a I crazy know. time it was it, it it really it really was i mean it it feels like uh you know, I mean, it was just, just the Wild West, right? That That's just really what it was. And it was it cut very much like the how people talk about the early days of um, of poker is is kind of what it was like. You know, if you if you were able to, to generate some sort of, um, you know, computational or strat or strategic advantage, you you just printed money because so much of the field was doing the same things, which were things that were not that intelligent. Well, yeah. And that's the thing where, like, you look back and see, like, Condia and Sahil when they would legitimately own the lobby of FanDuel and DraftKings. They would have, they'd be like the only games that if something was posted, they would grab it because yep. they knew their formula, what they, how to play DFS was better than everybody else. And it really didn't matter. Um, it was all about numbers for them. The more games I pick up, the more people I play, I know I've got a 15% edge or 20% edge or 50% edge, whatever number that is. They knew they had that edge. It was just a, how much action can I get down in these head-to-head three-mans? And it was it was a tough time because I, I I hated it when you went to the lobby, you posted a game, and then the same two three people would pick up your games. It sucked. It was a terrible it was a terrible experience. But from the standpoint of those guys making life changing money, it was absolute. I don't. Can you blame them? Like they had something that nobody else had. But here's the thing: is I don't think that applies today. And I know there's really good head-to-head players out there. There's a ton of them that do sure. really, really well. But I don't know that people are blindly picking up games as much as they used to, mainly because you can click optimize on half a dozen sites and you're putting together a lineup that's going to be super competitive, competitive. versus yeah. everybody. So I think that's the biggest change probably from now to, say, like five to, to ten years ago. And there used to be, you know, random whales that would come in on FanDuel. They'd have like no account history and they'd post a 10K head to head or whatever, or they'd take a, t- a 10K head to head. There was like a NASCAR driver. I remember. Denny Hamlin. Who, Denny, Denny Hamlin. Hamlin. Yeah. 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 Uh, who, who got doxxed later on. Um, I don't remember exactly how that, how that happened, but they, I mean, he, he's Denny Hamlin certainly was not the only one, you know, there would just be random guys who would come in and fire. And if you were the only one who had 10 K head to heads posted, that was, that was a huge edge because you were getting the, the, I mean, these guys are not even watching grinders live. Like they're just, they're just clicking buttons. And that's why they own the lobby. That's where the, that's where the fight was and where like Condia and, and, uh, and Sahil, you know, basically just played for millions of dollars. And it was to be able to be in that position to when the sucker comes in to play a 5K, 10K, they've got one choice to play it, and it's you. Yeah. And there's a lot of value in that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. No, there was. Okay. Do you remember your first? big big dfs sweat or score like do you have do you, do you have like a a, a yeah. plaque of like it's probably college football right yeah i don't know i think it was i actually think it was i won i think the big the the earliest thing that i won that i got excited about was it was a daily joust contest and it was nfl and i won tickets to the super bowl because it was like one of their live finals or something or their final and it was like first place won tickets to the super bowl yeah and you know I don't remember which one it was, but I remember I took the cash instead of going to the Super Bowl. And I kind of regret it because I've never been to the Super Bowl. Like, I kind of want to go to the Super Bowl. I probably could if I wanted to, you know, this year or something. But back then it was a it was a full situation of like, 
like, I don't really have any money. I could use 10K a 10K. lot more than I could use going to a Super Bowl. So that was like a big deal for me. Obviously, going to, you know, several live finals over the years. I mean, those are things that are still really exciting to me. And, you know, I really wish the sites, like, for example, like DraftKings just finished their their King of the Beach this past weekend. And, and I really think like, the setup of that tournament, I've said it before, I think it's one of the best that we have in the industry because there's nothing worse than playing a qualifier with a $52,000 seat value and you finishing third and getting like 150 bucks. Like that is, that is it's just the worst. The nut low. That is the absolute worst where at least King of the Beach, you win your queue and then you've got to get into like almost like a 50-50 to actually make the finals. Like that's a really smart way to do it. The price points are reasonable. Um, like getting these massive $2 million first place payouts and live finals are, are good, but I don't know that they swing all that much. So I still love giving that kudos to DraftKings and King of the beach. And I think it's the best tournament that, that they do from a live final perspective, because it's, it's very attainable to, you know, all sorts of customers. It's not just tailored to the, the, you know, the, the whale, mega whales, right. You play like 5k entries, or the lottery ticket players who are playing five bucks to win a $52,000 seat. So, yeah. Uh, so DFS just kind of in general, you know, we're, we're waxing, we're, we're waxing poetic about, about what it <laughs> used to be like. And, and it's just, it is so much different now. Like the, the you know, the, the, the swool cast, right. We used to just go through the cash game plays, right. We'd be like, all right, you got to play uh, David Johnson. You got to play Eric Decker. Uh, you got to play, you got to play Gronk. And that was like, that was like what the show used to be. And now, uh, I, I mean, does anyone do a cash game show? Like does, does any big <laughs> flagship DFS site do a cash game show? It's all about tournaments and stacking and leverage and cumulative ownership. And like that, that is what it's, what it's all about now. It is, it's, it's crazy. Um, how much all of that changed. You know, the, the one place where it, I, I think you could actually do it on like Sunday mornings now because the news, the uh, news uh, for NFL has really swung from yeah, over e the ETR, years. ETR does their position by position show, which is, is like Wiggins and Levitan going through the cash game plays. Yeah. Like, I feel like, I feel like that's a spot where it makes the most sense. I mean, NBA, it's like, okay, just get the last variation of projections and go. Right. Um, baseball, it's pretty cut and dry with lineups. And yeah, you've got some weather. But again, it's, it's you know, finding the, the trusted model that you, that you, that you like and, and rolling with that. But I think NFL, I think that's the biggest change in terms of and it's not like we've always had an active, like there's no question we've always had it, but it just feels like the injury situations have been more and more muddled up until that, um, that final inactives list than it was in years past. Cause honestly, I just think NFL is just like an insane sport. Like these guys just, they're so fast. They're so strong. Like I, it's, it's insane, like the injuries that you see. It's just a different sport today than it was even, I think, 10, 12 years ago. But um, I think you're right. Like, it's it's just everything's tailored towards tournaments as it, as it probably should be. I mean, if you're a content provider, ask yourself this. Like, how many people are playing cash games versus how many people are playing in a Millie Maker um, or in, in tournament play? Like, that's where the most number of you know, potential customers are, they're playing those sort of games. So, and I think, you know, from a show perspective, it gives you interesting, more interesting talking points too. Uh, you know, whether it's leverage or your, or ownership or those things. So, you know, certainly the way we consume content is, is absolutely changed and, you know, tailoring content to these, uh, you know, different type of fantasy players certainly have changed over the years, but, you know, automation and projections, just being so good has, has really kind of made it obsolete to a point talking a lot of cash games. Yeah, because the the, the optimizers are just going to be able to do what the, the hosts are trying to do uh, much like much more simply and and much more effective. So, I, I mean, how do you see DFS? What, what is its role right now for, for DraftKings and FanDuel kind of for, for now and the next few years? Because the, you know, the fatalistic viewpoint is that, well, these, the, you know, they'll never make as much money 
from these things as they will make from um you know from from sports betting and and it's it's only for customer acquisition and customer retention i i hope that's not true i find dfs way more interesting than sports betting and i like sports betting i do sports betting yeah. content all the time but dfs is just, it's it's so much different of a game that i hope that that is not true yeah i mean i think the data has shown that you know in places like new jersey pennsylvania where betting has existed for a while it's not like they're suddenly a plummet of revenue around daily fantasy. Like there hasn't been a a major drop off and you think, you know, it's, it's been what almost five years, I think that, that it's been, you know, legal in New Jersey, the data would have probably show that if there was going to be a significant drop off nationwide, it would also be happening in New Jersey in that specific state. And it hasn't happened. So for me, that makes me feel good about the long-term viability of DFS. Uh, But I also think, it's a mixture of both. And, and uh, some of it's going to kind of determine on be determined on like some of the tax structures, like you know, they've got to pay 50% taxes um, to the state of New York. And yeah. they've got to do that in California in Texas in Florida and these huge markets that don't even have betting yet. Um, sports betting is going to be even less profitable than, than it already is for these because the margins are low. The margins are not low or not high on on sports betting now i don't think that's going to happen you know i think that new york's probably going to be more of an outlier but at the end of the day you know i heard some interesting things uh at this last conference i went to where uh the head of fantasy over there at FanDuel basically said like a lot of customers don't even distinguish the two when they see a FanDuel ad they go to the dfs site they play um even though it might have been a sports book ad that they saw, they kind right. of view it all under the same umbrella. And I think that's what these sites are probably going to do moving forward. But I will also say that there's never been a better time to be a startup in the world of DFS than it is today because it only took like 10 years. Um, but people finally realized like building a clone of FanDuel and DraftKings is not the way to get into this space. And we finally actually have some true innovation in things like underdog and prize picks and, and thrive fantasy points. Well, well, points bets gamble. That's, that's straight gambling. But But I'm talking from a, from a fantasy perspective, they're learning that you don't need to build products that require what already exists. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, and you don't need to do it that requires scale because that was the problem with like traditional DFS is we've already mentioned it like five times on this show. If you don't have scale and you can't run large games, most people will not want to spend the time it takes to build salary cap lineups. But a lot of people are interested in these prop-based games. And there's so much more that I think people are going to come out with here because they've learned, okay, like we can run versus the house DFS that people are going to find interesting, but it doesn't require us to have 2 million users on our platform to actually run these things. So that's what I'm pumped about. And when you can, when you cross that with the fact that to be a sports betting operator, you've got to have like a, you've got to have like a billion dollars. Like you've got to be, you've got to be flush with cash to be able to, to pay to run sports betting in all of these states and get regulatory approval and get distribution. And there's probably not even licenses avail- available in a lot of these places where DFS, at most you're paying, what, 250 k maybe to run somewhere? It's not that expensive to run daily fantasy compared to sports betting. So I think that we're going to see a lot more growth in the daily fantasy world, mainly for that reason is you're kind of limited in terms of who can be a real player in sports betting just because of the cost that that goes along with uh, with being in it? Yeah, um, and and I mean, one of the things I talked about this with Rob Pozzola on on the show a couple weeks ago. I I would love to see more innovations from these companies, and I, I honestly don't even know how big the demand for it is. But like the points bet thing, right? Like it's it's the simplest thing in the world. Like you lose more when you're wrong by more and you win more when you're right by more, which feels like, uh, I mean, that should just be like a very obvious idea. 
but as far as I know, PointsBet is is the first company to offer it. I I don't I'm not in a legal sports betting state, so I can't hop on the the DK and FanDuel sports books to see if they're offering stuff like that. But I I would love to see these companies adding more things like that. Yeah, and I think you know I actually think we'll see more of it. The uh, the problem that you run into is. People are really conditioned to know to do things the way that they've kind of always known them, and especially uh, the the kind of sports betting audience skews way older than DFS. Like if you look, yeah, at kind yeah. of the the demographics of like our scores and odds sports betting site and Roto Grinders, and it's it's night and day. And I think the younger people are definitely going to be more interested in what you're talking about. And I'll be interested to see if we see more innovation along those fronts in the DFS side of things, because, you know, things like prize picks and underdog are, are great. Best balls obviously really change the way we play season long fantasy. So, you know, for yeah. the better, in my opinion. So we are seeing some of those innovations, but I also, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious to know like the risk tolerance that some of these sites are willing to take in a house backed game, because right now, uh, you know, it's usually like 15 X or maybe 20 X on a prop parlay that you run on a, on a monkey knife fight or a, an underdog or prize picks or something like that. But uh, I'll be very curious to see who the f- people are that, you know, end up being, you know, being willing to back something that pays out a lot larger. And I think like there's, there's huge room for that because um, it's more liability, but it's also a differentiator, which we don't really have in this sort of, part of daily fantasy and and like FanDuel and DraftKings I don't really expect them to innovate a whole lot more than they already have I feel like they've got the top two products and salary cap and yeah they'll run some best ball they'll run some snake drafts they'll do a few things along the way but I don't think they're gonna really muddle too much with the fantasy prop side of things I don't think that's where their bread is buttered so I think there's a lot of upside for current companies and future companies in that space, which is awesome. Really excited to see that. Yeah. I mean, that is like, I, I very much, um, I mean, I very much hope you're right. I, I love the, the prop games, the underdog prop games are amazing. And, and like underdog has it set up with, you know, Pete and Jack and everything to, it's like a, a communal experience. Cause that, that is something that is kind of missing. I, I suppose from what DFS used to be like, is it was like a very small community. And I guess now it's a larger community that has these smaller communities inside of it and all the slacks and the discords and everything, which is you, you would not think of DFS as a communal experience. You'd be like, what, what could be more solitary than plugging away at your computer, uh, you know, uh, plugging in optimizing stuff, but it is actually a very communal experience to like talk about with your buddies. And uh, you nailed it. When you say it's communities within communities, that's one of the things that I'm trying to really focus on, on RG, because, you know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think the, I, the concept of a community, you know, you, you, you lose some of that with scale. But one thing that we just recently instituted is we did a, uh, a Discord channel centered around uh, Chief Justice Will Priester, and it's all centered around props. And it's a, it's, a, it's a channel on its own, it's free, and it's absolutely blown up with people just going in there, exchanging ideas, showing their slips, tailing the chief. And it's, it's one of our most popular channels after like less than a month. Uh, and it's all driven by like, him in this idea of like props fantasy and community. And I, and then we recently did something similar with blender, but his channel is just focused all on game theory. So, you know, he's not in there to give picks. He's not in there to, to, to show like my, you know, who I'm playing on a given day. He's all about projecting on how I want to play GPPs this day. So I think that's one of the things that we're going to see more of. We're certainly going to see more of on our site, because, you know, let people follow what they're interested in rather than just trying to say, okay, here's NBA for the night. Here's, you know, college football for the day. Like, I think you've got to have that more individual person that's, you find out what they're passionate about and it's going to make everybody who follows them that excited to be a part of it, but you can't fake it. And that's where a guy like chief loves the props. And I've been, 
you know, when I saw that he was just so engaged in this, I said, Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's roll this out. And, uh, and the success of it, you know, was even bigger than I, than I expected when we decided to do it. So I think we're going to see more of that, these, these sub communities within larger communities and, uh, and yeah, and, and we're already seeing it and it's, and it's going well. So in terms of sports betting content, obviously it is, it's, it's a lot different than doing DFS content because yeah. you're, you're either giving out winners or you're giving out losers. Right. Uh, and that's a big different than, than DFS where you can be like, Oh yeah, I, I like this stack, uh, because the, the ownership doesn't add up to their optimal probability. And if it, if it doesn't hit, you're like, well, you know, you knew going into that, that that might lose. But when you are talking about, yeah, I, I like, um, Nikola Jokic's points plus rebounds plus assist prop tonight that either wins or it loses for a variety of reasons. And, and I, I think doing good sports betting content is really hard. Um, mostly because the, 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 the selling pick stuff is fraught for, you know, lots of different reasons. So, so from like a high level, how are you guys? Um, I mean, just what are your thoughts about, yeah. about the evolution of sports betting content? No, you nailed it. And the, the interesting thing is, you know, better collective is a worldwide company. We're, you know, out of Copenhagen, we're an affiliate company all across the world. And I talked to, you know, these guys from the UK, Europe, I was like, people like buy picks, you know, is this like, is the subscription business like a thing? And he's like, absolutely not. Like the, this whole idea of people buying content for sports betting and fantasy is a very American thing. There's not like a blueprint that you can look at and say, okay, this is what they did in the UK and it's been successful. Right. Uh, uh Like this is strictly, but it's also like a cultural thing. I think people in the U S are fine having their credit card dinged every month if they feel like they're getting something out of it. You don't even think about it with things like Netflix and uh, Apple TV and the myriad of other things that you subscribe to um, because you're getting something out of it. So what we've done, you know, scores and odds is, is our sports betting site. And the way that I've always looked at sports betting content is to show people what your you're like show people what you're betting and give them a, an explanation of why you're betting it. But at the end of the day, don't make promises that it's winner or that, that right. you're going to, you're going to hit at 60%. So the product that we built over there is basically compiling most of our RG experts to give their sports betting bets for the day with full write-ups as of why they're making that bet. Because for me, it all comes down to the explanation. If you like something and you give a good case for why you're going to bet something and it doesn't hit. Hey, guess what? Like I, you, you painted the picture that made sense to me. That's good enough, you know? And, right. and, and especially when you sell things as a collaboration rather than an individual type of pick. And that's kind of what we've done where it's, you know, it's Netflix style. You, you pay one price, you get it for the month and you get everything. And it's up to you to look at the reasoning of these picks and say, yeah, that one makes sense. That one doesn't. I think where you get into a bigger problem is when you just start listing picks out and saying I've, I've won at a 70% clip and that sort of thing is, is, a, is much more hairier for me. So what I've tried to develop here on, on scores and odds is, is a situation where you're right. Like everything you talked about is accurate about, you know, binary wins and losses, but in the same regard of that, DFS people have to make decisions about uh, who they play in a lineup. You have to make the decision of which one of these bets you want to take. We're not pushing particular bets on people, but read it. You agree with it. Great. Go with it. If you hate it, go the other way. Go but the other more way. Times right. than not, but more times than not, I'd like to think the people who are watching sports every single day in the streets grinding DFS, guys like Grant, who just, you know, do incredibly well with a big track record in, in, in betting props, you know, getting their information is valuable. But at the end of the day, you're the one that is got to decide whether you want to buy that pick or, or not buy that pick, but play that pick and, and not have it driven by like wins and losses. So there's a lot of, you know, and, and you know, maybe my mentality will change on that. Maybe that's not what people want, but I do think it's the best way to sell picks, in my opinion. That's why we're doing it. Uh, that way on SAO right now. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, in terms of like content, you know, people, they, they want to be entertained. They want to be informed. Like I, I mean, certainly there is a subset of people that just want the answers to the test. They just want the, the, the print money button. And, and I mean, you'll just never be able to do anything for those people. It's like when the pick wins, you're a genius. And when, and when it loses, you're, you're a donkey who, who costs them money or whatever. But I, I, you know, I think, and a lot of DFS, minded people would have like learned that over the years too i think and they they know like this is this is good content that i'm being provided regardless of the result or this is bad content and i don't i don't want to engage with it yeah and and, you know i don't have any problem like tooting your horn when you hit a bet and do well like that's what you know building that's what it's all about and and cheerleading that's what it's absolutely all about but uh, I do have a problem when, you know, you're just based when, when people are like, oh, this is, you know, buy this pick for, you know, a hundred dollars. If it loses, we'll refund it or something along those lines. That's not the way I, I like selling, you know, betting content. You know, some people do, some people build had a lot of success by doing that. I don't think it's the best way to sell betting content. And I could be wrong on that and we'll find out down the road. Um, but, you know, I feel like we're on the right track record. And, and I think that's the other thing is that, that will help people in terms of sports betting is more community is, again, getting people, whether it's in Discord or in chats or, or wherever, and the cheerleading that goes along with it. And, you know, the one thing that I hope we see more of, like the, the betting contests, that DraftKings done, even though they've kind of been a disaster, I think the concept of them are are awesome, and I think it's a way to build up more awareness for people who are really good sports betters. And and you know, I, I hope we see more of those. I hope some of the other sites, you know, try something similar to that out because I think it's a great idea. But um, you know, we're still at the infancy of sports betting. Probably not going to look like it does today. You know, 10, 15 years down the road, um, but it's going to be fun to figure out. That's for sure. It is. And, uh, uh, okay. Last, last thing. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the, 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 the books limiting people, right? I mean, we had, we had the quote yeah. from Rob, we, we had the quote from Robbins this week, the people playing for profit, we don't want them, which I, to be fair to Robbins, I do think what he's saying is obvious, right? Like uh, people are, are jumping on Robbins. Like he's the first, uh, uh, sports betting executive to say anything like this. It's what any sports betting executive would say behind closed doors. And if they were all telling the truth, they would all say the same thing. They don't want Rufus Peabody, uh, you know, crushing their numbers like that. That's not what they want. They want a guy sitting on his couch, betting same gay parlays. Like, so, so what, what do you think? happens with that delicate balance and you know i mean what 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 do you think yeah. and and with regulation and all of that stuff yeah i don't i don't i'd be surprised if if there's any sort of regulation around it maybe at some point in time somebody will say hey you know we need to write this in that you need to establish the same limits for every single customer uh, which, which i think would make sense i which i think is yeah. is the only answer to the question is you just have the same limit because it, it does feel very fraught to be like uh yeah, yeah uh mattress mac can get a million dollars down on a game but uh you know uh grant can only bet 15 bucks on a game or whatever yeah I, and i i don't know if that's the right answer okay i'm going to be very clear sure like, i think yeah. it sounds right i think what it needs to do is just have better minimums rather than like people trying to bet props and get limited to like 20 bucks is just absolutely preposterous 25 cents or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that sort of thing is completely ridiculous. Um, And like, if suddenly they there's sharp players out there who want to bet 500 to a thousand dollars a prop, I think that's like a fine limit. Like if you want, I I think you can make good money betting 500 to a thousand dollars a prop and it's not going to make the books go broke. Okay. So I think that you got to find what that middle ground is and say, okay, like we understand, like this is going to be the minimum that we limit people. It's going to be, you know, 5,000 on a side, uh, 10,000 on a total and 1,000 on a prop. You might be able to do more, but you're never going to be able to, to bet less than this number. And, and I don't even have a problem with them like deciding on a person by person basis because it is their business to run. They're in the business of making money. I get it. But I just think that that minimum needs to be uh, a decent number 
where the books don't get killed, but the user, if you're sharp, you can still make money, you know, being able to play and be a sports better on a particular site. And I don't know if that's the case today. So right. I, I don't I don't think we need to be circa and say, oh, we'll take anybody's money at any price point or whatever. Just say this is our minimum and you might be able to bet more, but you're never going to be able to bet less. So maybe that's what Circa's doing right now. I think that's that's kind of how they how they uh, how they you know say you know these are our our I don't say our minimums, but this is like the max amount that will will limit you. But we'll see. I don't know. I I I, I understand both sides of the coin for sure, but they need to be better. At no point in time should you limit people to like under. I think anything under. Even like 500 is pretty preposterous for how big these these sports betting sites are. Yeah, and they have, uh, I mean, they they literally are billion dollar companies that have even larger liability. Like that, you know, they're all they are insured. They like it is it is insane to have people be like, oh yeah, I won. Uh, like uh, what they're you know, uh, and I'm sure you guys have dealt with this where um you'll you'll have your little props community and then you know someone will, will at everyone in the Discord like oh go bet. Uh, uh, McCall Hardman's under on receptions and then uh, gets bet and then they pull it or which I think moving lines is fine. Like I, I have no, I certainly, I have no problem with DK being like a uh, hundred people just bet, you know, 50 bucks, but then, but then to limit those accounts moving forward and be like, Oh yeah, you can get uh $17 down on props. Moving forward. Yeah, that's like stupid. that's, that's just so lame. It's so lame. Yeah, yeah, that I, that when you limit people below below that that sort of number, it's 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 such a nothing burger in the grand scheme of things, and it's you're never going to get any positive press from it. So, like maybe that five hundred number is is too high. I don't know, but that's that sort of thing is is really you know gross. And the and the worst thing is what they do is they basically kind of tag you. Not necessarily whether you win or you lose. It's like where you bet versus the the closing line value. So yeah, you can even lose, but you get a ton of closing line value on your bets. I've seen books limit people. It's not just profit because these these books are smart. They know that the worst thing that you can have is value off of that final line. So you know they're mapping who the smart betters are. And honestly, what they should probably do is use that information to change lines faster than, than they currently do. And maybe some of them are currently doing that, but you know, at the end of the day, let's just be reasonable about it. You know uh, I don't think anybody should, I don't think we should sit here and say professional, you know uh, sports betters should be able to like try and go and DraftKings out of business, and that's not going to happen. Okay, even right. if there was no limits on that, that's not going to happen. But I also do think like they have a right to say, okay, we're going to limit, you know, how much damage we're going to take, but it's got to be a more reasonable limit than we have. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that sport, like, and I don't think anyone would say this that sports books shouldn't put any stops or, or protections in place. I do think one of the things that leads them astray is like it's all algorithm. It well, not all of it, but a lot of it is algorithmically based. So someone who shouldn't be limited gets limited, or the limits don't make any sense, and that's where you yeah. get like the the people with the the dumb screenshots and everything. And uh, and and <laughs> you know, and we, we've also had it happen a couple times where where um you know the books will be like we won't limit anyone we want winning players and then their algorithm still catches someone and bans them like the the barstool book had that happen you know where where they're like yeah we'll take anyone's money and then turns out they they won't take anyone's money which is yeah that that's yeah. bad optics yeah um all right well I, let's uh let's get you out of here tell people about scores and odds uh obviously i mean we we just spent like an hour talking about rotor grinders but uh I use I use RG stuff. It's uh it's all it's all good and you know Grinders Live they still they still do it. That's free. It's uh it's a it's a real empire you guys have over there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean we're we're just doing our thing uh, and you know kudos to to all the content providers out there. Like it's just become such a more competitive landscape and you know I think we're proud of of the products that we built. We think we've got some world class tools. We've got some some of the smartest guys still 
you know, in the DFS streets for over a decade. I think that's a testament to those guys that that you can, you know, still play and, and be profitable for that many years in this space. So, uh, yeah, Roto Grinders for DFS, scores and odds for uh, sports betting. We've got dedicated apps for both of them and uh, just basically trying to make your life easier if you're playing DFS or sports betting because we know, you know, this was the whole crux of why I got into this is, and I'm seeing it more and more as my family, you know, matures and gets older, is just don't have time to necessarily do the research that's involved. And, you know, that's the whole kind of point of, of what we've kind of built is have fun, still enjoy the sweat, still follow the games, um, but have a much better chance of, of building competitive lineups or, or having, you know, more EV bets than, uh, than you would otherwise. So check us out. Roto grinders scores and odds. How is uh, how soccer Dave doing in his new job? We can, we can end with that. Let's give soccer Dave a performance review. Oh, soccer Dave is, uh, you know, I don't know. He's, uh, is he going to retire from the, the swole cast? I, I don't know. He's, he's so busy. Contract. He's so busy, man. I know uh, he's got they, so much to do. Dave's awesome. Like uh, it, it's, it's kind of come full circle too, because uh, we started grinders live was, he was like one of the first hosts. It was like me, beer, soccer, Dave, and, and Smiz was not long after. So, and, and CSU, those were like the, the, the first handful of guys. And now, you know, I'm kind of stepping away from media, you know, that's falling more under her, his purview and a lot of other things as well. But, you know, Dave is one of the, one of the nicest guys I've ever met and a hard worker and a guy who's definitely has a lot of vision and it's just uh, whether we can carry some of that out, but excited to, you know, have him move into his, his role here, uh, January one. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. So nothing but good things to say on old soccer, Dave, soccer nothing dad. but good things about, about soccer dad, uh, DB seven thirty. Thank you for the time, my friend. And, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks. Appreciate it. Davis. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.